Hi, this is Kristen Cabrera, reporter-producer from the Texas Standard. One of the coolest things about working on the show is getting to tell stories from my community, like this one I did on high school UAL Mariachi. But you know, this is Texas. You'd be hard-pressed to go a week without hearing. Dun-dun! Listen anytime to the Texas Standard, wherever you get your podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. The way that I grabbed people's attention was through the creation that me and Key, you know, made. So the more attention that that gets, the more opportunity that I can create. And I want, I want people to make that connection because, you know, really like literally like streaming and playing our music and sharing our music means like social impact. I'm Elizabeth McQueen. And I'm Miles Bloxon. And you're listening to Pause Play, the podcast about live music, a global pandemic, and what comes next. In this episode of Pause Play, we'll be talking to Shaka from the Austin hip-hop duo Writers Against the Storm. But first, the news. COVID cases in Austin have started to go down, and COVID hospitalizations have dropped. As a result, most businesses can reopen to 75% capacity, Previously, they only had been allowed to be open at 50% capacity. Vaccinations have started here in Austin, but the demand is most definitely greater than the supply. It looks like it will be a while before everyone who wants to get the COVID vaccine in Austin can get one. In Pause Play News, this is the last episode of our first season. We want to thank everyone who shared their experience with us for the show and everyone who's listened. We'll be coming back for season two on March 9th. The first episode of our second season will be a big check-in with people one year after the shutdown. And we want to hear from you. How has this last year during the pandemic changed your life and your relationship to live music? You can send us a voice memo to pauseplay at KUT.org or leave us a message on our socials. We are pauseplaypod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We would also love to hear what you thought of season one and hear what you'd like to see in season two. So we created a quick online survey. You can head to KUTX.org slash pause play survey to fill it out. And I promise you it will only take five minutes. All right, let's meet Jonathan Shaka Mahone. Hey, what's going on, y'all? My name is uh, Shaka. I'm one half of Riders Against the Storm, founder of the Black Lives Music Fund, founder of DAWA, which is Diversity, Awareness, and Wellness in Action, and owner of Never Fresher, a clothing company here in Austin. I've been in Austin for 11 years. Shaka and his partner, Kidada, make up the Austin hip-hop duo Riders Against the Storm. They have a new record coming out on February 22nd, called Flowers for the Living. Writers Against the Storm have been making music and playing shows in Austin since they moved here, and they've always leaned into music as a way to build community. They hosted a popular monthly dance party with DJ Chorizo Funk called Body Rock that gave Austinites a space to connect with their joy and freedom. And for years, they've thrown a festival called Ross Day, which provided a family-friendly space for the community to experience music and yoga and good food. I've known Shaka and Key for a long time and have even worked with them. And I even played the first Ross Day. 
During the pandemic, we've watched Riders Against the Storm put together live streams like Black Everything Matters and release music like their singles Red Lights and Flowers for the Living. At the same time, we saw Shaka at the helm of a new nonprofit called Dawa that has provided direct relief to musicians, artists, social workers, teachers, healing practitioners, and service industry workers that were all in need. We've also watched as Shaka spearheaded the effort to create a Black Live Music Fund and later became the first African-American chair of the Austin Music Commission. Shaka was doing so much for so many people, and so for the last episode of this season, we wanted to talk to him about the intersection of his music, advocacy, and activism during this pandemic. But before we talk about what he's done now, let's talk about how he got here. Shaka was born Jonathan Mahone. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. And so both of my parents are college educated. Both of them raised me with a certain sense of ideas of social justice. You know, they gave me books to read, you know, autobiography of Malcolm X. They gave me Baldwin, Ralph Ellison, you name it. And I just tore those books up, man, to the point, you know, where I, you know, I internalized this concept of myself as of having power, you know, and myself as someone that could activate change. I went to a, a prep school. It was a private school. And, you know, one of my friends who was black got expelled uh, from the school. And, and a white student that had committed the same crime, if you will, got suspended. And um, I let a walkout in the school. And so that was like my first like kind of civil disobedience type of thing. But I've always been this person that's like, I just, I don't know if it's because I'm a laborer or what. It's just like justice is just important to me. And even though I know that, you know, Things aren't fair to a large extent. Like, I want to try to make them as fair as they can be or or try to at least, you know, make things better. That's always been something that's inside of me. After high school, Shaka attended college. And he didn't just go to any college. He went to an Ivy League school. It's one of the top 10 universities in the country, Brown University. You know, I was in this um, mindset that my, you know, my father gave me. He grew up... Really poor, like his family lived in a chicken coop and his father built his home by his bare hands and worked in the coal mines and in the steel mill in Pittsburgh and very working class. You know, a Coca-Cola on the weekend was like a treat, was like a dessert, you know, never had extra food, you know, you know, that type of situation. And so he was he basically raised me to like, you know, you got to work 10 times as hard as these other folks. And, you know, the goal is to like just get yourself a house, get yourself a job, you know, that's good and that type of mentality. So I went to school with that, you know, in my mind and still with the social justice. So I was thinking I was going to be, uh, you know, civil rights attorney or something of that nature. But what I found when I got to Brown University was I just, what I found in that environment, I was like, if this is the best in the world. Like, I'm, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> like, it was just like, this is, this is, this is the best. This is what we got. And it was internal. It wasn't something that I expressed, but like I, I went through a depression and I went through a uh, a moment in time where I was having like an internal breakdown. Like my my worldview was like falling apart. Like I felt like I, in a lot of ways, I felt like I had made it. And a lot of people around me, especially from home, felt like I had made it. I was in the place I was supposed to be. But in, internally, I was like, if this is making it, this is this is not what I, <laughs> this is not it. You know, I, this is not it. The people uh, that I was in courses with, and learning with, I just felt like their bias and their own privilege. I was like, this can't be the future, you know. But guess what? A lot of those people, <laughs> they're in positions of power right now. And that was what was so uh, so hard for me to realize is that, like, 
we have been sent to this institution to basically reinforce the rules of the elite and ruling class. And that's why we're here. That's what we were trained to do. And I was just like, man, this can't be it. This can't be my life. Shaka graduated from Brown with a degree in American civilization. After college, he got a fellowship to study hip-hop in Germany. He started working on a documentary, and he was even awarded a Fulbright grant. But then, like, when, when I got the grant, my heart had changed. I, was, I, I started to get more involved in, in stuff in the community, and I started to get activated by things that I was doing in Providence at that time. And, you know, uh, my heart wouldn't let me go back. So I had to turn down the, the Fulbright application and... Uh, you know, my parents thought I was crazy. Everybody, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting calls from people in my community that I don't even, you know, know that well. They're like, you know, son, well, you know, you just got to. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not feeling it. He didn't really have a plan. He was waiting tables, trying to figure things out. And then something happened in Providence that really shifted his mindset. There was a, a, a police officer named Cornell Young Jr. May he rest in peace. He was murdered um, a block away from where I was staying at the time, like I heard the gunshots. I remember I didn't know what was attached to. Then I remember reading and he was murdered by his own police force. He was a member of the police department. I think it was three officers that fired on him, but one of them was in the same police academy as him. Didn't recognize him. Killed. And so um, that moment, like really, you know, I don't know. I just it just touched me in, in a way that I can't explain. Shaka was inspired to write a poem about the murder of Cornell Young Jr. He went to a rally in downtown Providence. I read the poem and the feeling that I got, the energy that I got was something that I, I, I don't know, I've never felt that again since. Like I literally felt the, the energy of the people like lifting me up like off the ground. The, the, the roar that I, I can't I can't explain that, but it was something that really like touched me deep in my soul. Afterwards, Shaka started volunteering for the organization that had organized the rally. And it's called Direct Action for Rights and Equality. And these these were like my mentors in my early 20s. You know, these these women who started this organization were like really, really powerful. And, you know, they started, you know, in defense of their own community, you know, slum landlords and, you know, uh, utility companies that were like facing people with eviction and you're just treating people wrong. And, you know, they stood up, they just organized and they stood up and they made changes and it ended up becoming this nonprofit that, you know, I ended up stepping through that door like, you know, years later. You know, these people and these women were the ones that taught me about, you know, really taught me about organizing, really taught me about social justice. And really is where I learned like the reality of social change in the nonprofit industrial complex and, you know, the struggle of change. Shaka would go on to work for the organization as a youth organizer, fighting the truancy laws in Providence. It was around this time when Shaka met Kidada. Though at the time they went by completely different names, Shaka was going by J-Bro and Key was going by Tiger Lily. He is Shaka's partner in Writers Against the Storm and his life partner. Like he said, they met when he was in Providence. They'd met before when Key was a student at Rhode Island College. And they would see each other in the scene. At the same time, I was doing the stuff in the community. I was acting. I was uh, doing spoken words. So there was a couple of times, like, you know, we you know, crossed paths the spoken words. She always beat me. It was always, you know what I mean? But, you know, she's, she's just an amazing writer. So 
Um, you know, we're coming, we're just crossing each other's paths, but she, she started coming to meetings that I was running and stuff and coming in an organization and volunteering. And I had a house that was like, kind of like a collective, like everybody's there, like Rastas and Nation of Islam. And like, it was just like this black gathering space where we talked about all types of ideas that, you know, were fl- floating around our mind. This is like 2000, 2001, two, three. And, you know, we were just like learning about, uh, you know, how to eat healthier and we were learning about, you know, how to take care of ourselves. And uh, used to do dinners and stuff like that at my house. And, you know, she would just come. She would just come through. She was at all of them. Once she knew, <laughs> once she knew where my house was, you know what I mean? So it was we were just always crossing paths. In 2004, Shaka and Key started Writers Against the Storm. I guess I got tired of her beating me and uh, all these spoken word things. I was just like, you know, let's let's get together. Let's let's make some music or whatever. And uh, you know, she agreed, and so we started writing our first songs together. Like we were just writing over like hand-me-down beats, stuff we could find. Writers Against the Storm hit the ground running. Their first show was opening for Dead Prez, but still. Music wasn't the focus of Shaka's life. He got his master's in teaching arts from Brown, and he started teaching world history and running an after-school arts program. And then he and Key moved in together, first into Shaka's one-bedroom and then into a two-bedroom apartment where they started throwing these house parties. We didn't have a lot of money, but, you know, it was just the energy we put into it, you know? Like, I'm I'm DJing with CDs, like, you know, like I'm, like I'm the man, you know what I'm saying? And... You know, we, we had, like, art exhibits. Like, we would get people to bring art, and I, I would ex- exhibit some of my art, and we'd have it in the bathroom, and Key would do these, like, elaborate, like, tours through the bathroom exhibit. Uh, we call it, She called it a, something to toilet. I can't remember. Like, like <laughs> it, I mean, you know what I mean? We just we just getting it in. Like, we just, you know what I mean? And everybody bringing food. And these parties would just be, t- people would be talking about these parties for weeks and months after. And what we realized is that us together has something special. Beyond like what we have individually, like we as a as a unit have something special and unique that nobody else has. And there was something else that led Shaka and Key to believe in the power of their creativity. They had a sketch comedy troupe called In-House Freestyle that toured the area, and they had this reoccurring character named Sergeant Snuggles. Shaka had created him to make fun of the military-industrial complex. His character was because I was working in a school where they had one uh, college fair every every year. Um, but the military uh, officer was allowed to come in during lunch. He was there all the time. So, like, there was a constant influence of the military. And though Snuggles had started off as a caricature... Because he had these these uh, bo- these Coke bottle glasses, and he had these snaggle teeth, and he had a really high-pitched voice, and... He, he was just, and, and he also had an arm, his backstory, he had an arm that he had lost in Desert Storm. So we realized that, like, look, this dude went to Desert Storm, he came back, and now he's got to recruit his own people. This is how he's got to eat. We started to feel connected to him. Sergeant Snuggles became an audience favorite. And so in 2008, they had Snuggles run for president. And he had a platform, and he went to community meetings, and he uh, had a commercial that we ran on TV. And so it got to the point in the, in, in the community where people weren't sure if he was real or not. And so um, 
we go on this community uh, cable access show. It's a political show. And this guy's doing an interview of him. Now, he's in on a joke, the guy that's interviewing him, but he's taking it seriously because that's that's how we were running it. But one of the guys behind the camera, it's like a community show, so like everybody behind the camera and everybody involved is from the community, right? And he had been in the, uh, in the military and he lost a leg. So he goes up to Snuggles as Snuggles and he lifts up his leg and he shows his steel leg that he has. And he's like, brother, I feel you. And that that moment right there was when I realized like the like we had created an entire world that people believed. And that's when I started to understand like art is story and everything is so powerful. And so, you know, all these things are coming together. And, you know, we decided that we're going to just really focus on music. We had to kind of leave all the different pieces that we were doing to the side and put music in the center. And so that's when we came down to Austin. When we asked why they chose Austin over other cities, Shaka said he couldn't really give a solid reason. They considered other cities like Atlanta or Philadelphia or even DC, but none of them felt right. But the idea of Austin just kept coming up. And I can't I can't pinpoint it wasn't wasn't anything like any one thing or any one moment, but we just we felt it in within in our inside of ourselves, and we just listened to that. So when Key and Shaka came to Austin, they settled in a part of town called the Hog Pen. And my mom actually grew up not too far from the Hogpen, so I thought it would be best for her to explain it. First of all, it was located on the east side of Austin, right off of 183 and MLK. It was more rural. And it was it was really named the Hogpen because there were hog pens back there in that area. My uncle that lived next door uh, to us, he actually had a hog pen there. And so we would go and feed the hogs and stuff like that, go and really get the food for the hogs. And we would go to like the schools and pick up the the food that was left over from the day, take it to the to the hog pen and feed the hogs. And in the neighborhood, the people there were people that I actually went to school with. They were more African-Americans, it was really a mixture of African-American and Hispanic more. Nice area. It, it wasn't the best, but it was what we considered then pro- possibly middle class. I am such a fan of your mom, Miles. Thank you, Debbie. So very quickly, Shaka and Key were able to find a community here in Austin. A month before they moved here, a man named Dorian Lassard had started the Arun Center for Cultural Arts. It was a place where, um, you know, the community was coming in and out of there. You know, uh, he, he, had a, he was cutting people's hair. Um, the kids in the community that were coming in there for capoeira classes. Um, you know, people were doing, you know, classes on whatever you can imagine. And that was like one of the first places that it was actually the first place that we threw a, threw a party at. So, like, this was... This was like our epicenter. And so like right down the street from that is where we where our house was in the hog pen. So, um, you know, the people that we were meeting in that moment um, were our foundation of, of understanding what Austin was. We had no problem finding black people. It was immediate and it felt like home. It felt like 
what we were used to um, in Providence before we came here and in Pittsburgh. It was in my, you know, my wife's from Brooklyn. It felt like community. It felt, um, it just felt real. But a lot of the things that we were hearing back from people was that, you know, it's like this isn't a city for us anymore. And as Shaka and Key started to expand outside of the community that they had found when they moved to Austin. We started to feel like, you know, people that were from here, what they were saying was true. It, it just played out exactly the way that they were saying it would. You know, um, we 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 thought, I guess, because we touched down in the hog pen, because it's still like a country aspect to it, a certain certain uh, rural kind of feel to it. We were like, you know, it still feels organic. It still feels black. It still feels like something real. Um, but, you know, they were right on. I mean, the last 10 years have been dramatic. And that block that we were on has changed dramatically. And everything um, that we've seen has changed dramatically. Everything that we knew from that time has changed dramatically. Shaka is right. The situation in Austin has changed dramatically for the city as a whole and for the Black population specifically. Like we said in our first episode, The Pause, according to a study by Zillow, rent in Austin has increased by nearly 93% between 2010 and 2019 alone. And according to the Austin Board of Realtors, the median home price in Austin has increased from $193,000 in 2010 to $318,000 in 2019. Over the years, Austin's Black population has dwindled. In 1990, when I was growing up, African-Americans made up 12.4% of the city's population. When I moved here in the year 2000, that number had dropped to 8.15%. Today, Black Austinites make up 7.8% of the population, and many people of color have moved from Austin to surrounding areas. Pflugerville, Maynard, you know, Round Rock. Um, I'm seeing people starting to move to Buda, Kyle. Um, you know, any Bastrop, you know, I'm saying anywhere but here, um, anywhere that's more affordable. And so, you know, that that was, you know, kind of my breaking point this year with all these discussions in Austin Music was that everybody's talking about how unaffordable it is for musicians to be here. But nobody wants to talk about how it's been for black people for generations. You know, the black venues, you know, were closing down and struggling and going through their, you know, uh, downturn generations ago. Nobody cared. Now we lose a few, few, you know, we, I mean, no, no, no disrespect to the North Door, any of these places that have closed down. But, you know, when it was, when it was our venues, Charlie's Playhouse or whatever, who, who was there, who was sobbing then? Right. So, you know, it's always a problem when it affects white people, but when it affects us, it's just collateral damage. It's just, you know, that's how, that's the breaks, kid, you know? And, uh, you know, when it starts to affect people that haven't been through this, you know, and and I think, you know, honestly, that's why a lot of white people are waking up because they're starting to feel this stuff. You know, they're starting to understand like, oh, maybe this isn't fair. Right. Maybe this maybe capitalism isn't working. Yeah. No, well, it hasn't worked for us for four, over 400 years. Right. And it's actually led to our, you know, destruction in a lot of ways. So, you know, that's, you know, that, yeah, that's that. <laughs> When they got to Austin, Shaka and Key also almost immediately got to work, bringing the same spirit of those house parties in Providence to Austin. So we got here at the end of December and we met uh, DJ Chorizo Funk in January. He came to our, our, our first party or one of our first parties at the Arun Center. And Eddie saw what we were doing in terms of like the hosting and the MCing and stuff. And he was like, yo, I had this idea for a party. 
you know, would y'all be interested? So, you know, we met him and literally the next month we started Body Rock. So, you know, two months into being here, we started Body Rock. Body Rock is a party. DJ Chorizo Funk spins tunes while Shaka and Key act as MCs. And in addition to Body Rock, Shaka and Key started playing shows as Riders Against the Storm, wherever they could. Our first shows, again, was like at Arun Center. It was at, you know, Anarchist Bookstore, like Monkey Ranch. It was at Resistencia Bookstore. It was at where we could, that people understood, understood the vibe. But those early days were not always easy. We, we were on food stands. I'd never been on food stands. We were on food stands. Um, you know, we had some we had some down times where, you know, we weren't making ends meet. And, uh, you know, that's hard when you're in your 30s and you already, you know, you, you've been a teacher. You, you know, you got a master's degree. It's like it works on your it works on your whole spirit and your mind. So, you know, depression was a real thing. Anxiety was a real thing. Um, but at the same time, we were we were just continuing to push forward because the the feedback they were getting, like those early house parties that, you know, people were just telling us how much this meant to them. So no matter how broke or how down and out we, we felt or we were, like there's always somebody that would stop us at HEB or, or or stop us somewhere and be like, yo, man, you don't understand, like Body Rock last month, like, please, you know, don't stop. Thank you all for being here. We were getting that message consistently. So we just kept pushing. It was in those early days when they were struggling that Shaka and Key got a lot of help from their community. You know, and this is what I got to give props to Austin for, not the, not the institutions of Austin, but the people of Austin. You know, they really appreciated us truly. And, and, and they were so giving to us. And, and, you know, there were people that, you know, filled our refrigerator with groceries when we couldn't afford, you know, food. There was people that, you know, let us stay at their house when we couldn't afford first, you know, deposit, you know, for, for rent, you know, when we needed to find a place. You know, Elizabeth... You know, just gave us her van for like, was that a month, two months? We didn't know Elizabeth from really anybody, but there was always somebody there willing to help us. And, um, you know, that's Austin. I, that's Austin that I know. Just Austin, the new Austin. I don't know what it's about, but that's Austin that we moved into. It was like, you know, always somebody kind of there willing to help you, you know, go towards what, what you what you want to do. Coming up after the break, you'll hear about why Shaka launched the Dawa Fund in 2019 and the Black Live Music Fund in 2020. Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with My ATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org. So eventually, Shaka and Key started to find their footing in Austin. Body Rock became wildly popular. I personally have been to the party where there was like a line down the street of people waiting to get in. And that event became a stabilizing force for the duo. It was like our anchor or it was our buoy. You know, we, we, we had, we didn't have to, we didn't have to swim. We could just climb up on this thing and just hold on, you know. And, and once we could hold on to it, now we can look up and see where we're at. Since those early days, Riders Against the Storm has become more established in Austin. They won Band of the Year in the Austin Music Awards in 2014, 2015, and 2016. They've released a ton of music. Pre-pandemic, 
Body Rock was basically an Austin institution. And lately... We're in a different position now financially. So people are coming to us and, and asking us for help. You know, now we're in a position where we can, you know, we can we can help. And we can, you know, hey, here's a hundred dollars. Here's, you know, da, da, da. we can, or we get, or we have a network now. Like we're known in the city, so you know, we can hit up, you know, the executive director or so and so. We can, you know, we have this cachet or whatever where we can be of real help to people that are, you know, going through these life crises. So it got to the point though where it's like it was so constant, and I'm just like, man, why the hell is it there some place that you know people that are going through this can just get some money real fast? So, you know, I went to um, a friend, Heather Alden. She used to be executive director of Sims. And I was just basically like kind of fried and frazzled from, and I was like, you know, do you think, do you think an organization, it could be an organization like, like this where, you know, we just, we just give money to people that are going through this. And she's like, yeah, this is absolutely something that should happen. I just felt like the people that I respected the most and that I saw giving the most get the least. You know, um, and so Dawa is basically, you know, that demographic. We call them the community frontliners and we call it, you know, giving to the givers, the people in our society that have chosen the path of giving and chosen the path of healing and chosen the path of, you know, giving back. And so on his birthday, September 25th, 2019, Shaka launched the Dawa Fund. Uh, we raised a little over $3,000 and I was like, man, I'm going to give it away. And then in March of 2020, the pandemic hit and people really found out about Dawa. I don't know. I guess people are at home. They're finding out about I don't know if people just started sharing it. People started talking about it. And so before I knew it, people, you know, folks are doing, you know, backyard live streams and, you know, selling artwork and, you know, doing all types of stuff like, you know, to to donate to Dawa. And, um, you know, Dawa, uh, it means medicine in Swahili. And I feel like, you know, you know, we are medicine to each other and the people that are bringing healing in our community, they are great medicine to our community. And, you know, they shouldn't they shouldn't be struggling. They shouldn't be going through so much, you know, just because they choose the path of, you know, of helping people. And so we we opened up the applications in June at the end of June. And within like 48 hours, we had over 200 applications. Of those first 200 applicants, 70% were African-American. And of that 70%, 80% were musicians. So it just proved my point. It's like, you know, if, if, if folks that are, are actually come from privilege or, or have a certain privilege are struggling, the people that don't have that type of privilege are struggling even more. So, um, you know, it was just confirmation. It was just really clear. Like the data that I got back is just like, it's exactly... You know, what I what I feel like it is and my experience is 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 what's happening. The Dawa Fund has raised close to a hundred thousand dollars, and that's a huge accomplishment in itself. But Shaka didn't stop there. In 2020, he launched the Black Live Music Fund. The Black Live Music Fund came out of his involvement with the Austin Music Commission. Here in Austin, we have a lot of commissions. We have a planning commission, a downtown commission, an arts commission, and yes, a music commission. Being a commissioner is a volunteer position. Each city council member plus the mayor gets to appoint one commissioner to each commission. We have 10 city council members and one mayor, so typically each commission consists of 11 people total. The job of the commissioners is to advise the mayor and the city council and make recommendations as to how they should approach certain areas. 
In 2019, Shaka became a music commissioner. He was appointed by the newly elected city council member, Natasha Harper Madison, though his previous experience dealing with the city had made him wary. I was a part of a Visitors Impact Task Force, um, which was brought together by the city to determine what to do with hotel tax funds. Okay, so in Austin, a portion of the money that the city brings in from hotel taxes goes to fund the arts. We call that hotel tax money hot taxes. And for many years, funds had been distributed as grants through the Cultural Arts Division. The grants went to local arts nonprofits. Individual artists could access these grants, but they had to be under the umbrella of a nonprofit. But the funds never went to the commercial live music industry. The Visitor Impact Task Force was made up of 18 Austinites who were all involved in tourism in some way. They were looking at a possible convention center expansion, which would possibly have led to an increase in the amount of tax the city could levy on hotel stays. And Shaka's experience was not so great. I was the only working musician in that group. I was the only black person in that group. And um, if you look at the equity writing, all, all the information on equity from that task force, that was all written by me, literally word for word. And like, if I had not been there, it would not be in there. But my experience there overall was, you know, having, you know, having to just be the voice for black people, black musicians, but also largely just people of color because there were a few people of color in the, in the uh, task force, but they weren't black and they weren't in music. So I held a particular seat that I felt like was important. So, you know, I made just about every one of those meetings. It was like twice a month and they were long and they were, a lot of them were super boring. And, you know, I sat through it, learned a lot. And then at the end of the day, when it came time to write the whole our whole recommendations up as a group, I was one of three people that was supposed to get together and write those things up. Uh, time passes and I get an email with the stuff already written up. And, you know, I email the individual and I'm like, well, how did that happen? I was supposed to be in the group. That was it. And it was like, oh, you know, my apologies. You know, that was an oversight. Like, how do you forget the one black person like, how, how does that happen? Like, I you know, how? I'm just trying to wrap my mind around it because I, I, I feel like I'm already somebody that kind of might catch your attention just to begin with. Forget the black, just, just who I am, right? You forgot me? And not, not the person that didn't say anything, you know, for the majority of the meetings. Not the, you know, you forgot me? Okay. Yeah, you can say what you want, but, you know, that that's, that's the type of oversight I can't really, I can't really stomach. Um, that's the type of oversight that, you know, represents a lot of things that happen in Austin for me personally. You know, spent time, was there day in, day out, putting in the work and somehow, somehow getting left out. Austin has a way of, uh, uh, of making you feel like you're making you feel like you're crazy. I, not me personally, you know what I'm saying? Because I know where I come from, but there was an experience that I had here, um, you know, 2016, 2017. I was talking to a chair of a nonprofit here, the board chair, and he told me that I would be at more tables if I didn't talk about the things that I talked about. And this was happening 
during the bombings. This is when Draylon Mason was murdered. And, uh, you know, for me personally, this is just a leader in awesome music. And when he said that, it was like, okay, I know I'm not crazy. I mean, I knew I would. I knew I, I know I know what I know. But when he said it, I was like, okay, this is the Austin that I know. I don't care what these people are talking about. This is the Austin that I experienced. This this is the awesome music leadership that I experienced. And you know, I, you know, I, I've spoke to Matt uh, runs his KUTX. And he said he said publicly in front of music leaders in Austin that I was a nuisance. He called me a nuisance publicly. Um, and we, you know, we've put that water under the bridge. You know what I'm saying? We've talked about it. Um, so you know, it's you know, it's 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 it is what it is. When Council Member Harper Madison asked Shaka to join the Music Commission, and I was like, man, I don't even really want to deal with these jokers. To be honest with you, um, I don't, I don't really want to be in this type of capacity again because you know I already had this bad taste in my mouth. But he said he'd do it. Basically, I was like, look, Natasha, I'm going to do this for six months. I'm going to go in. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to see what happens. And within the first month of me being there, there was there's a joint arts and music commission meeting. And, you know, the community was invited to talk about a creative space bond. And I immediately felt that my voice was necessary based on what the community was saying. Um, the majority of the community was talking about East Austin needing um, more resources and talking about the lack of space and talking about specific communities. I was like, okay, I know all these people. I know this experience. You know, I need to be playing a role here. Shaka joined the Music Commission and he was elected vice chair. But even with that position, you know, I felt like there was still marginalization going on. I felt like people didn't really recognize the position. People would want to talk with the chair. The chair at that time was Rick Carney, who I think did a great job during it when I experienced him. But, you know, he would be telling me about stuff and I was like, oh, really? They talked to you? I didn't hear anything about this. Like, you know, um, so it was it was a lot of stuff like that. It's like, oh, well, you didn't hear? It's like, no, they didn't. They didn't even, you know, I didn't get CC'd in that email, stuff like that. So again, like, you know, people wanted to work around the voice that may dissent or may critique or may um, challenge whatever agenda is, is, is trying to be accomplished. And, you know, um, that was pretty consistent, you know, but regardless, I felt like just being in that seat, it created opportunity for people that, you know, aren't at the table like myself. Like if, if they can, if they can marginalize me, if they can um, silence or negate my voice, Right. Or find or try attempt to consistently Then think about the people that aren't at the table. The people who have been disempowered by this system, the people who have been disenfranchised by the system, the people who experience the same things as me, but give up and just say, man, forget these folks. This, 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 this is what they always do. This is what we always experience. Why should I even try? Why should I even get up out of bed or why should I even go to this meeting? They're not going to listen to what I have to say. You know what I'm saying? So. For me personally, that's that's the reason I stayed is like, you know, it's like, you know, to to represent for those people and um, to, to to try to continue to open doors for, for folks and make it easier for folks that don't. You know, I, I got a master's degree. You know, I got a college degree. Right. 
I got high levels of education and 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 it's still look at what look at what the obstacles they put in front. Look at the challenges, look at the you know, <laughs> look at the hardships they make they they make people um go through, right? So it's like I understand that. I understand I'm in, in a privileged position, right? But it's still hard for me. So what if you're not in a privileged position? And that's the conversation that Austin refuses to have in a lot of ways because everyone wants to talk about how hard it is to be a musician here. Nobody wants to talk about how hard it is to be black here. You know, but then what if you're a black musician, a black artist, right? So if it's hard for the privileged, the white and privileged to make a living, then what does it mean for the black and unprivileged? Which brings us back to the Black Live Music Fund. Before we get into that, we need to talk about the Live Music Fund. Okay, so remember when Shaka was on that task force discussing the possible convention center expansion? Well, when he became a music commissioner, he actually didn't recommend the city move forward with that expansion. He felt like his experience on the task force led him to believe that none of the equity recommendations in the final document would be honored. But in 2019, Austinites voted to approve the expansion of our convention center. And when they did that, they also increased the amount of tax that the city could levy on hotel stays from 7% to 9%. The city then agreed to take 15% of that additional 2% and turn it into a live music fund. Like we said, historically those hotel tax funds were only available to nonprofits. They were not available to the commercial music industry. But with the creation of the live music fund, some of that hot money would go towards Austin's live music industry. And thus, the live music fund was born. Shaka was a member of the working group that was formed to create recommendations about how the fund would be distributed. But again, the conversation, you know, that people were having, I felt like the language and just the way that they were talking about was just leaving, again, leaving out Black people in particular, but people of color in general. So, you know, I brought in Nook Turner, I brought in Chiquita B, and I brought in this person, uh, Ray Price, who, who runs uh, Notes for Notes out of Doris Mellala Twin. So, um, you know, I brought Black people into that conversation. That's number one. Like, it wasn't, I'm just going to be the only person. That's number one. I brought I brought other Black voices. And Shakita B is a young hip-hop artist, born and raised here. Nook Turner, born and raised here. Ray Price is running a nonprofit. I brought all those people in so that they could be engaged and know what was happening and be a part of the conversation. And so we had started having conversations outside of those conversations. And I was like, look, this is this is crazy. You, you guys hear how they continue to leave, you know, black people out. You know, it's very general about music. And we know how we've experienced music with these vague discussions about saving awesome music. It's who's it, who's in the room with who, who are they thinking about when they're talking about saving awesome music? It's not us. Um, you know, we're not invited to that party. So I was just like, you know, we should ask for a percentage of this money. So at first I was like, what do you think I think? 30%? You know, and, and Nook was like, nah, man, we should at least half. We should take half of that. And I was like, you know what? Bet. On June 11, 2020, Shaka read a prepared statement during the live music working group meeting. The master plan of 1928 extracted basic human rights to water and ensured that blacks would be out of sight and out of mind. Then the brutal brutal segregation terms were followed up with economic displacement through gentrification. 
Nothing substantial has been done to address this issue. Nothing substantial has been done to repair what has been what was taken from native black Austin residents that made this culture what it is. Black music is the foundation of the live music capital. This is the unwritten story. The wealth and privilege shared by only a chosen few was built on the backs of black genius. As such, this city needs to reinvest in its black population. More specifically, I'm calling for an investment in black musicians and artists today. It's time for the city to reinvest in a community that laid the groundwork for much of the prosperity that white venue owners, promoters, theaters, and more have experienced over the last 50 years. It's a new day, and the old guard does not reflect the needs and moods necessary to lead us in the direction of change. We don't need to get token invites to share the stage on largely white bills curated by predominantly white music tastemakers. Everything we need to move forward is within our possession, except for the investment. That changes today. Moving forward, I am calling for 50% of the live music funds available to be allocated for a black live music fund. This fund will be created to address and repair the historic neglect perpetuated by music leadership in Austin. Stewardship of this fund will be in the hands of black people and funds will be used to support but not limited to the following needs the creation of a black owned and run music venue small grant funding for black musicians and entrepreneurs to build sustainable platforms development of technology for the promotion of black music in austin online radio streaming platforms websites Funding for artist education, online and traditional, 75% of funds directly back to native black Austinites and black organizations with 20 or more years of history living and serving in Austin. Finally, I'm calling for black and white musicians to step up and join me in pushing the quote-unquote leadership in this city to put money where their mouths have been. Stand with me and call for reinvestment in black musicianship via a Black Lives Music Fund so that we can take back some of what has literally been stolen for generations. The time is now. If we aren't talking about financial investment, we literally aren't talking at all. In the name of black lives, in the, in the beautiful spectrum of American culture that was born directly from it, we demand change. There is no turning back to what was. There's only the promise of today. You can find a link to the full statement on the show notes page for this episode. But dealing with public funds can be a torturously slow process. I basically decided that I wanted to pull the Black Live Music Fund aspect out from any type of control of the city and make it a private thing where we could get funds from anybody and not worry about the mandates and auspices of the city and you know having to deal with them. So I created that fund privately through the Austin Community Foundation. And when when I, I, I launched that in November. Shaka went to Black Fret, a nonprofit we've talked about before on this podcast. 
Black Fret is a patronage organization for live music, kind of like what the ballet or the orchestra has in most places. Black Fret has that for live music. Members pay $750 a year and nominate 20 bands. In pre-COVID days, members voted to give 10 artists major grants of around $17,000 and 10 artists minor grants of around $7,000. And full disclosure, I am currently on the advisory board for Black Fret. In 2015, Writers Against the Storm received a minor grant. In 2016, another Austin hip-hop group, Magna Carta, was passed over for a major grant. In 2016, Shaka wrote a letter to Black Fret, telling them that in order to counter the biases of the membership, they should create an award for underrepresented genres. He didn't hear back from them then. But during the pandemic, he got back in touch with Matt Ott, the executive director of Black Fret. And I was like, you know, I'm about to start this Black Lives Music Fund, and I think Black Fret members should support it, you know, um, because y'all y'all have done a, you know, a, a very mediocre job at, you know, supporting uh, certain genres and just the Black music in general, and all the music that these people play is Black anyway. So, um, you know, basically, could I talk to your membership, tell them about the Black Lives Music Fund, and ask them for, to donate? So their members were the first people to donate. So we got from that conversation I had where I brought Nook in again, we had a conversation, a live conversation with their members um, on online. Uh, we raised $10,000. And so we raised almost $20,000 since November. And the goal um, is to raise about $50,000 and then to, to at least $50,000 and then to give that out through small micro grants to folks that are doing things to just create space for Black music in Austin. And that can be, you know, showcase, it could be a podcast, it could be, that's up to the creativity of the people that have ideas and things that they want to do, um, but maybe like the resources. You can find links to donate to Dawa or to the Black Live Music Fund on the show notes page for this episode. There's a live stream event on February 19th to benefit the Black Live Music Fund featuring Austin artists like Jake Lloyd, DZ Brown, Amiro Soul, Nook Turner, Jay Soldier, Nettie from Trouble in the Streets, and of course, Riders Against the Storm. You can find the link to that on the show notes page for this episode as well. So, Shaka created Dawa in 2019. He launched the Black Live Music Fund in November of 2020, and in December of 2020, he became the first African-American chair of the Austin Music Commission. Plus, Writers Against the Storm has been working on new music. Like we said before, Writers Against the Storm is releasing their latest record, Flowers for the Living, on February 22nd. They just released the video for the title track, which is already out. You're actually hearing that song right now. Mama say, mama say, mama, oh my, to the girls who obey, and the boys don't cry, no flowers on my grave, cause I never die, nigga life afraid, die a million times, bring the flowers to the liver, cause it's always time. We asked Shaka how he got to this point, how he's done so much, and he told us that he got here by following his spirit. Shaka was a name that I I, I got through, through a dream, but like even Jonathan before that, that was given to me, so there's something here before all that. That that doesn't have can't answer to any of that because all that was given when I arrived here. But there's some there was something there before I was named. There was something there before people gave me value for being this or that. 
I was val- I came here with value, and that that and that spirit, whatever you want to call it, that unnamed being energy, is is what I am. Everything else has been added along the way, but like there's something core about me that I have to get in touch with. So for me, it's just it's just about always checking in with myself, no matter what. Like constantly checking in and asking yourself, like, why am I doing this? Why am I working here? Why am I eating this? Why why do I, you know, uh, support this organization that doesn't seem to be doing any any good for the environment or for, you know, for people? You know, you can complain about it all you want, but it's like at a certain point you have to check in with yourself and say, well, I'm a part, I, I have a decision to make. And we wondered how all of the work Shaka had been doing, both in the music and advocacy spaces, had been affected by the pandemic. You know, I started Dawa in 2019. You know, like the pandemic has been on in the Black community. Like, you know, um, racism is a social pandemic, right? And so, like, a lot of the things that people are like alienation and all these things, like, and it's like, I feel like we felt these things already you know the the venues disappearing and it, these things have happened in our community for generations so like for me to be honest it's always just like i'm always just trying to figure out how i can take the privilege the position the opportunity that i have and bring that back to people pandemic or no pandemic that's my mo so it's like i think the only thing that's changed has been um the opportunity to get people together in a space. But we've done that online multiple times, successfully. Um, The the main thing has been just being able to create opportunities for people to come together. And I feel like that's a huge a huge spiritual thing that we're gonna we're gonna have to be dealing with for years to come because I don't think we can really understand um, how much that's affected. You know, I, I have a you know loved one, a partner, a, a you know a wife, whatever you want to call her. Like, and you know me being able to you know have someone to you know just touch and hug and hold. There are people out there that don't have that right now. You know, haven't had that for months, maybe a year, maybe more. You know, haven't you know. Those things that, you know, things like Body Rock, the space that I created for people, like people haven't done that. We haven't done a Body Rock since February. You know, so I know that's, I know that's affecting people. I know it's, um, it's created a lot of hardship. It's definitely affected us. But again, like for me personally, having at least one person that I can do those things with, that I can have those, you know, type of, you know, release, that's, it's a release. It's a, it's a human need. Touch is a human need. Um, you know, beyond the physical, you know, sex or things like that, like just just a general touch and someone putting a hand on your back and, you know, giving you comfort. Um, so I think things like that's that's the thing that has been, I think, different for me. Um, but other than that, like it's just it's always been about me just like creating an opportunity through the art and the talent that I have and seeing what I can bring back to the community. 
And Shaka wants to remind people that the music he and Key make is really at the heart of all the good that they can do for the community. The way that I grabbed people's attention was through the creation that me and Key, you know, made. So the more attention that that gets, the more opportunity that I can create. And I want, I want people to make that connection because, you know, really like literally like streaming and playing our music and sharing our music is literally like means like social impact. It, you know what I mean? And and, it, and it's, I, it's direct. Like the, the more that we've been able to achieve and the more sustainable we've been able to become as, as artists in our career, the more we've been able to give back, you know? And so I want people to make that connection to the music as well. Like, you know, when you stream our music, you're not just streaming a song that you like, you're like, you're really creating opportunity for two individuals that have like, you know, a sincere desire to heal, have a sincere desire to create safe spaces and healing spaces and create new worlds in a sense, you know, um, and new opportunities. So I want people to make that, make that leap from like, these folks are artists and I like their music too. Like, no, I need to. I need to do a little bit more so that these folks can can do more. I don't, I'm not just gonna. I'm not just gonna listen to this. You know, I mean, I'm gonna share this as much as I can. I'm gonna make sure that people know about these folks because, again, you know, Dawa and all that. Like, that wouldn't be possible if people didn't know me as an artist. You know, people know me as an artist because of the work that I put in. You know, for all these years. We want to thank Shaka for talking to us for this episode. We want to thank everyone who shared their stories with us for this season. And most of all, we want to thank you for listening. We will be back on March 9th for season two. Our first episode will be a look back at this last year, and we'd love to hear from you. You can send us a voice memo telling us about your experiences. Our email is pauseplay at kt.org, or you can reach out to us on socials. We are Pause Play Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we want to know what stories you'd like to hear in Season 2. We even have a survey for you. You can head to KUTX.org slash survey and let us know your thoughts. There's a link in the show notes page as well. If you liked what you heard, please let a friend or a family member know about the podcast or leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on NPR One. Anything helps, and thank you in advance. Pause Play is a production of KUT and KUTX Studios. It is reported, produced, and hosted by me, Miles Bloxon. And me, Elizabeth McQueen. Our executive producer is Matt Riley. Jake Perlman and Matt Largy helped with editing and audio production. Stephanie Federico is our digital editor, and Julia Rees is our multimedia editor. Special thanks to Todd Callahan and Peter Babb for their technical support and guidance. Thanks to our graphics guru, Jackie Fuller. Pretty much all of the music you heard in this episode is from Writers Against the Storm. You can head to the show notes page for this episode to find a playlist of all of the songs that you heard and the original music that you heard that wasn't from Writers Against the Storm was created by the talented Jack Anderson.
Support comes from Austin Water, helping residents reduce water use while protecting Austin's precious resource during the drought conditions with MyATX Water, providing near real-time water use data, tips, and leak alerts. More at austinwater.org.